This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 618 of the Dressage Radio Show, official podcast of the United States Dressage Federation on the Horse Radio Network, brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products, Bates Saddles, Mud Control Grids by Han Plastics, and Total Saddle Fit. On tonight's show, we are joined by Karen Isberg from Kentucky Performance Products talking about the proper way to put your horse on a diet. We will then talk to Mimi Stanley, a trainer who specializes in Arabians and Arab warm blood crosses. After that, Wendy Murdoch is on the show to talk Surefoot Equine Stability Program. And then Reese and I answer a listener question from the Auditor Facebook page. Reese Koffler Stanfield from Georgetown, Kentucky. And this is Philip Parks from Rockwood, Ontario, and you're listening to the Dressage Radio Show. Well, hi, everybody. Hi, Phil, too. <laughs> hi, Reese. <laughs> hi, Reese. What's going on? Goodness, we have just been like full speed ahead down here. It's been nuts, but all good stuff. This is a super busy time for us because there are events for, for me. There's, there's an event this weekend. There's an event next weekend. We have our, our local Kentucky Dressage Association show next week. So it, this is kind of one of my busiest times of the year. So it's, it's insane, but it's good. You're Everybody's, always saying that though. You're always saying that. I know. I, well, <laughs> right now, <laughs> right now. I, yeah. I was like this. Yeah. I was like, this will slow down a little, but, um, and, and Scott Hassler, my coach is coming in, uh, cause I'm showing bingo next week. So we're getting ready for the Grand Prix and the specials sort of going back into show mode. I made some adjustments and, and we've been sort of practicing on our homework. Uh, but now we're switching, you know, I'm a big, big, you know, proponent, are you training? Are you showing? What are you doing? Um, so we will work this weekend. Scott's coming up. And so the first day on Saturday, we'll work the Grand Prix and Sunday we'll work the Grand Prix special and then we'll show on Friday. So I'm, I'm looking forward to getting back in the ring. Actually, we were, we were showing so much and then we had a little break and we had like a one day show in April, but I'm ready. I'm kind of ready to, to get back out there. It'll be fun. Oh, that that sounds great. We uh, we wish you luck. You know, hey. as always. Yeah, it'll be fun. I'll, I'll give a full report. Hopefully, it's an amazing report. But it'll be great. It's going to be in the big stadium, and uh, I'm looking forward to a different venue because in Wellington, you know, you you show it global pretty much. Uh, that's a lot of people say that's that's kind of a problem in Wellington because there's really only one venue. Um, so it's kind of fun now to go to some different venues and see yeah, how you got to get out, got to get out and about. Yeah, exactly. And in the horse parks about 10 minutes from my farm. So, uh, we get to sleep at home and, and which is really nice. And he gets to, he'll be able to go out in his paddock and, and his routine will be pretty normal. So it'll be a nice show. All right. All right. Yeah. Well, that's, that's fantastic. I think we have a big, radio show today to do so i we think we do probably just get <laughs> we'll get right the party started right yeah <laughs> yeah so after this commercial break from bait saddles we're going to talk to karen isberg bait 
Eight Saddles are the saddle brand that truly put your horse first. Enjoy comfort, optimal balance, and seamless contact with your horse, leaving you free to concentrate on your aids. Bates Saddles offer you many features you don't find with other saddle brands, including the external flexi-block system, which is anatomically contoured to your leg, allowing it to ride in behind the block and support your individual position for maximized comfort and security. An adjustable ergonomic stirrup bar, which allows effortless rider alignment to be achieved by altering the position of the stirrup bar, enabling you complete control over your preferred leg position. Many styles are available, including the new Bates Dressage Saddles, the Bates Victress Show Jumping Saddle, and the Bates Advanta Eventing Saddle. It is the official saddle of the United States Eventing Association. You can learn more about Bates Saddles at BatesSaddles.com. That's BatesSaddles.com. Well, we are really excited to have back by popular demand. And we have missed her during the pandemic. We have Karen Isberg of Kentucky Performance Products. Karen, how are you? I'm great. And it's so wonderful to be back on the show. It's just fantastic. I've missed talking to you guys. I know. I feel like things are starting to get back to normal. We have you back on the show. Like it's, it's good. We were, we were missing you. Well, a little bit at a time, you know, I mean, we just slowly, you know, get back to normal here and it, but it does feel great to, you know, feel a little less nervous about what's going on out there and have the vaccines available. And it's just, I feel like we're moving forward, which is a good thing. Absolutely. And we're really excited and you've got a very good topic for tonight and very timely for us here in Kentucky because it's actually been quite cool and the grass here is insane and you're going to talk to us about how to properly put your horse on a diet, which I think is such a good topic. Well, and that's something that a lot of people don't know how to do. And and there's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it. A lot of people, you know, they're not even, they're, they don't even notice their horse is fat. And the vet comes along and says, oh my gosh, you know, you've got to get a hundred, 150 pounds off this horse. It's so fat. And then they just take all the food away. You know, they cut him back to four flakes of hay a day and they take all his, his concentrate away and they take all the supplements off. And the, the poor horse is just, you know, they, starving a horse doesn't, doesn't work. It doesn't help them lose weight. So what we recommend is that you, it, it's, it's a 30-day process. So first thing you have to do is decide what the ideal weight is for your horse. And you can, you can do that with your trainer, like Reese, you and I would sit down and look at a horse mm-hmm. and decide, you know, is he too fat? You know, what, what, is, what, how much does he weigh now? You can use a weight tape. If you're lucky enough to have a scale, you can put them on a scale, but you use that weight tape and you look at it and you say, this horse is 1200 pounds and he's way too fat and we need to get some weight off. So once you have that ideal weight, that's when you, that's how you calculate how much feed you're going to give the horse. And the main thing that you're talking about here is forage, because if your horse is too fat, he doesn't need a lot of grain. He just needs his vitamins and minerals. And you can give that as a vitamin and mineral supplement, or you can give that as a balancer pellet. And that's usually a small amount, anywhere from a few ounces to a pound a day. And then what you want to do is make sure they get enough fiber. And it's really important that a horse gets enough fiber because that keeps his gut healthy. So what you do is you aim for 1.25% of their body weight. That's, that's the amount of feed you want to be giving them after 30 days, the amount of hay you want to be giving them after 30 days. 
So you have to weigh your hay and you can do that. You can, you know, you, these scales are so cheap nowadays. Go on Amazon, get yourself a little scale. What I do is I took a small bucket and I inverted it and I put um, the top from a Rubbermaid container on it. And I just put that on top of the scale so I could, you know, get the hay far enough away from the scale so I could read it. And I just put a couple flakes of hay on top of the scale. And then you weigh your hay and you should weigh your hay every day. If you can't weigh it every day, at least weigh your weigh a few flakes of hay and get a good estimate of what a, a flake of hay weighs. A flake of hay weighs anywhere from five pounds to two pounds, depending on how thick it is and how tightly the bale has been packed. So you have to know how much hay you're feeding your horse. And then over 30 days, you, re, you reduce, every day you reduce the amount of hay you're giving until you get to that 1.5, 1.25% of their body weight. So for a thousand pound horse, that's 12.5 pounds of hay. And that's your target. And you keep your horse at that target then until they lose the weight that you need them to lose. And then once they're down to the weight that you want them to be at, then you can start increasing that hay a little bit more because if they're losing weight, they're in negative energy balance. And if you leave them there, they're going to get skinny. So as soon as you hit your target weight, then you slowly increase the amount of hay you're giving them until you get to about 1.5% of their body weight. And then you can hold them there as long as their weight is, is remaining consistent. Does that make sense? Yeah, yes, I, think, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think, uh, you know, there there can be quite a few people who are blessed with green pastures at, at this time of year. You know, especially where I live, it's like, you know, spring, early summer, the grass is growing a lot. We're getting, you know, we're getting rain. We're You know, it's not too hot and, and it's just a perfect time for, for grass to be growing. So I just want to talk to you guys like. What do you do for for those for those horses who are gaining a lot of a lot of weight right now? I mean, I guess for us, we kind of limit their pasture time or you know keep them penned in a in a in a paddock that has you know a little less grass or you know just try and ma- manage it that way. What do you guys that, do? That, and those are a couple of those are a couple of options. So you the um, the pen that has less grass in it, you'd be surprised. Um, at that, how much grass does grow in an overgrazed lot. And what you have to be careful of is the grass in an overgrazed lot is very stressed and it actually contains more sugars than the grass might that's out in the pasture and isn't stressed. So if you have a sugar sensitive horse, you may be doing more harm than good by putting them on a pasture that's been overgrazed. So think about that. Wow. Um, a, yeah, a better idea is a dry lot like you have, Reese, and I have yeah. where there's no grass. Yep. And then you give them hay instead. Yeah. Um, or what works really well, if your horse isn't too terribly fat or you, you catch them before they get fat, is to use a grazing muzzle. And, you know, the thin line muzzles that are out now today are just wonderful. They're very light and open and airy. You can get two different size holes in them. And a muzzle typically um, on, a, on a typical pasture reduces intake by about 30%. Wow. So the thumb rule is that a horse eats one pound equivalent, one pound of hay equivalent per hour out in pasture. So if you were to, to weigh the grass and and reduce the dry matter down to the same thing as hay, it it's equivalent to one pound of hay. 
So well, if that's you, a, that's if an interesting. Horses, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah. Good yeah. To know. yeah. Yeah. So that way you can mm-hmm. kind of figure out. You know, if my horse is out on pasture for six hours without a muzzle, he's getting about six pounds of hay, and then you can adjust uh, accordingly up and down. Now, if okay. that's a thumb rule, it's going to change sure. some horses. Sure, and we're yeah, yeah. We've got some. We've got we've some really got determined ones. Yeah, they're determined. <laughs> you get, you get you know, some horses that don't even breathe when they're eating their pasture. That would be me. I'm, going I'm crazy. That's right. I'm listening to this they, and I'm like, this is what I need. Mean. Yeah, <laughs> this is what I need. Mean. <laughs> yeah, it's but so true. Yeah, so if a horse is out on pasture for six hours and they're eating six pounds, if you put a muzzle on them, you're going to reduce that amount by 1.82 pounds. They're going to eat that much less. So wow. muzzles are, are a good idea or a good way to do it. And if you have a dry lot, you can do a dry lot. And, you know, along with, as you kind of reduce their intake, many small meals several times a day is better than giving them everything at once and letting them eat it all up and then having nothing left. And, so and what about the, feed them. Yeah. Karen, the, the slow feed hay nets, we, 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 I we love do those yeah, a lot. Yes. It definitely slows them down. There's no doubt about it. And you use them. I think now they have, inch and a half or two inch holes and they might even have inch holes so you can yeah, look they, at your hand and you can I've get different, different sizes in, in, yeah mm-hmm. in different sizes i've also mm-hmm. seen kind of the the hay feeder balls you know where you oh kind yeah of these look cool yes. yeah yeah there's lots of great kind of, of slow slow feed solutions out there i have never yes, used the ball it looks it it looks cool. I like the ball. I want to get I want to get the ball for for bingo. I, I was going like to try it. a ball with Oreo. I thought that might be yeah. really fun to watch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It'd just be fun to play. You watch him play. Because he's one of those determined eaters. <laughs> yes, he's a he's a he's a mower. He's a good mower. Yes. He's um. But I think that's it's important. No, and I think you know we also have a horse who is so incredibly sensitive to the grass. So Karen knows this horse really well and. A couple of years ago, he was out in, in one of the dry lot pens and, and had a little bit of grass and we were having such trouble with him. Like he was on a sugar high. I mean, he was incredibly, he was crazy and this horse isn't crazy. So he did it again this year and we had him muzzled. We had him ready to go. And I'm not sure it must've just been enough sugar. And he was a wild man. And I it, it switched in my brain. I'm like, I know exactly what it is. It's the grass. And so we had to put him in. Now he only goes in the dry lot because he's yeah. so sensitive to the sugar in the grass. And it That's just, so it, funny. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I've got, I've got one that is like complete opposite, like all winter, he's a little bit high. And then as soon as he gets out on some grass and you know, the, the springtime rolls around, I mean, it's, it's also temperature dependent and you know, sure. all, all those sure. things, but, but he's just like the calmest, guy all summer you know it's kind of, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah know? it's funny it's just funny i guess i guess people react differently too to to the different yeah. diets you know yeah mm-hmm. and there's nothing wrong with if you you know if you have a horse that's on a diet and he's in a muzzle all you know most of the time when he's turned out there's nothing wrong with hand grazing them for 10 or 15 minutes after you ride them you know it it, it gives them that chance to kind of have that natural grazing behavior it's a reward for them after you ride them or as long as you don't get carried away i mean remember reese in florida 
how much mm-hmm. weight Oreo gained when I hand grazed him for I know. Karen would go out there and she'd be out <laughs> answering emails and they were happy. I mean, it was the most beautiful thing. They were just happy, like chilling out together. Karen's answering emails. And then I finally was like, hey, Karen, I think he's gaining weight. And I think it's the hand grazing because where we hand yep. grazed, the grass was much better like than the pastures. Yep. And so I was like, I think he's gaining weight. Like we had to stop it. Well, and I think that, that kind of, I had actually somebody say this to me today, Karen, she said, I wish I had put a muzzle on my horses a week early. So that I thought was an interesting statement because she's, she's new to the area. She just moved here from California. So she doesn't really know how potent our grass is and how, how quickly the horses can gain weight here. Um, and so I just wanted you to, when do you pick the right time to put, like, if you're in a place with lush pastures, you know, again, this is very dependent. Yeah. If you're in a place with lush pastures that are cool season grasses, which is most of the Northeast and, you know, unless you're down in Florida or way South where you don't have, where you have warm season grasses, the cool season grasses, they grow at night when the temperatures are above 40 degrees. So as long as you're having a sunny day, a sunny, warm day, anything about, you know, 50, 60, and the temperature stays above 40 at night, that grass starts to grow. So you can watch your temperatures. And as soon as spring rolls around enough so that you've got enough nights where it's above 40 degrees, the grass is going to start to grow and it's time to put that muzzle on that fat horse, that horse that can mm-hmm. get fat. And get them before they you know, get back. Or get start them, your 30 days. get fat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Get them mm-hmm. before they get fat, you know, absolutely. And then just monitor, like, I don't have a scale, but I monitor with a weight tape and mm-hmm. I'm the one that, that um, weighs them each time. And I do every horse in the barn every two weeks <clears throat> and I put them on the cross size and I make them stand square and I put the, the weight tape on the same exact place and I pull it as it's the same tightness each time so that I'm consistent. And then I keep track of that. And I don't worry so much if their weight varies 20 pounds time to time, but I watch for the, the, where it's going over time. So if it's, if the, if they're gaining weight and gaining weight and gaining weight and gaining weight and gaining weight, gaining weight over a couple of months, then obviously I know we have to do something. So I just kind of look at the trend over time with these horses. And then I also put my hands on them. You know, do they have a fat head over their butt? Do they have too much fat over their their ribs can we feel their ribs at all you know do they have a big crusty neck are there fat pits on their shoulders and you can kind of feel your horse so even if you can't weigh them you can look you can do that and score them do a condition score on them and watch that over a few months and you should be able to see your horse decreasing his weight if you're doing it properly that makes sense. And like you said, you know, the, the dry lot pens, you and I have those just so people kind of understand mine are probably, I don't know, 12 by 24, maybe 12, maybe a little bit bigger than 12 They're, they're but they're not huge. We call them our play no. pens and they have just limestone. And then we have, um, they're, they're probably about two horse lengths wide and three mm-hmm. horse lengths long, I would guess. And a horse is about eight feet. So whatever that yeah, is. Yeah. Something like that. Something, something like that. Something like and that. mine it, is. Mine is 50 feet by 100 feet. It's big. I can turn it's two bigger. horses out in it at once. Right, right. So yours yeah. is our, our, we have three of them. We use them for lots of different things. They're great. You know, we use them when horses come to visit or if we need, you know, to get a horse for a vet or a catch pen or 
you know, we just use them for a lot of things, but right now they are pretty full with, with the horses that are getting chunky and that, or that, you know, we want them outside. We, I, we believe in being outside, but they, they can't like the one horse cannot hit the grass. Cause it really, this time of year really becomes a, a, a behavioral issue. It gets that heat yeah. up. So and it allows you know, so, them to socialize and see other horses and be outside instead of being locked in a stall, which can be very depressing to a horse. You know, they're sure. social animals. They need to be interacting with other horses, seeing other horses. If they can't touch other horses, you know, if everybody gets along, which is why I have a bigger lot, I turn them out yeah. two at a time. I turn out buddies, you know, so that they can enjoy each other's company. But yeah, that goes a long way towards helping keep the weight off of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you can, yeah, I, I put nibble nets out there, hang nibble nets out there. Yeah, for them to we do too. All day long yeah, they chew it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They've got hay and they, they are happy little campers. Yep. So, so Karen, we want to know too, because we were doing an Oreo Karen spotlight segment. And how is Master Oreo doing? Master Oreo is wonderful. He has mm-hmm. been a super horse over this, through this whole pandemic. I, I don't remember if we told everybody, but. Shortly after we got back from Florida last year, I guess it was last mm-hmm. year, almost a year mm-hmm. ago, when everything kind of closed down, I went and got him from Maplecrest and brought him mm-hmm. back to my house. Mm-hmm. Um, I really don't have, I live on a hill, basically. <laughs> I live on the side of, side of a hill. There's nothing, there's no flat spots on my property, which is why he was at your house. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I could ride him. <laughs> But I brought him home and we just started doing all kinds of different things. He learned how to behave himself out in the field, walk, trot, and canter, um, up and down hill a little bit, which he doesn't like to go downhill, but he's no. getting over that. <laughs> and then um, I had a friend with a trailer and we did a bunch of trail riding. And it turns out that Oreo is just a super champion at trail riding. Hmm? He loves That's it. That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. And you guys like went far, like out far. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and we went through, oh, there's all kinds of creeks around where I live. And they're not always the easiest creeks to get into. They're, you know, they're, they're sometimes really steep, muddy banks. And then you can actually get into a lot of them because they have solid limestone rock bases and you can walk down them. And it turns out that Oreo is just the king of the water. He would go, he would mm-hmm. slide down a bank on his butt, go into the water walk all the way down it, climb out, nothing stopped him. All the other horses would be going, I'm not going in there. And I'd go, come on out. <laughs> and he'd go. <laughs> That's so he, nice. he turned out to be just so much fun. And we went, we went everywhere. We went all over the place here and rode in all kinds of conditions. And he just, he loves it. So it was just fun. You know, it's such a blessing to have a ver- versatile horse, you know, that it, it's not, not just a show ring horse, but, you know, a guy that you can enjoy doing different things. I I, I think that's that's great. Yeah. And it was a way yeah, for you to was, get out and socialize and yeah. see friends safely. So it was it was a good thing. Yeah, we would. Um, my friend would. She'd drive in the truck and I'd follow her in my car. <laughs> yeah. Both get sure. in the truck together, you know, like we were yeah. different households. And then we, you know, of course, once you're out there riding, you're far enough apart and yeah. you're out yeah. outside in the open air. And yeah, it was really a lot of fun. And, and then in, at the same time, when I was home and I was riding in the pasture, I was working on my feet. And of course it helps going up and downhill with your balance and your leg. And, and I think we just, we really made some progress, even though, you know, we weren't in constant training. So, and then he had the winter off, which he thought was just wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's like, this is great. 
<laughs> I love it. Well, Karen, good, mom. <laughs> this is good. But I want to do it. Well, Karen, thank you so much for coming back on the show and giving us an update. And how do our listeners find you online and get all the information if they need to, to kind of go over their horses program with you and in, in the diet regime? I'll tell you, uh, the best thing to do is just go to our website, kppusa.com. And we actually have an infographic that gives you all the information that I gave you now about putting your horse on a diet. And um, there's, there's lots of information in there. You can, from our website, you can find us on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Pinterest. We're on all of the social media sites. Or you can give us a call at um, 859-873-2974. And that's the, the, the office. And you can call there anytime between 8 to 5, Monday through Friday. And the girls that answer the phone will be happy to help you. Either they can answer your question or they can get you to somebody that will. So we'd love to hear from you. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Karen. And we can't wait to talk to you next month. That'd be great. I'm so happy to be back on the show. And, and Reese, I expect I'll be seeing you very soon. Yes, now I can't we wait. Can all visit. We can all visit. I love it. We'll talk to you soon, Karen. Thanks so much. All right. Bye-bye. Tired of having your boot sucked off mid-stride by sticky mud? Mud control grids are the solution. Frustrated by mushy, slippery messes at the paddock gates? Mud control grids are the solution. Is keeping the ground underfoot stable in your sacrifice areas and dry lots causing you to lose sleep? Once again, mud control grids are the solution. You're seeing a trend here, aren't you? Well, Han Plastics Mud Control Grids really has come up with the best solution. Unlike other plastic grids on the market, mud control grids can be installed directly on top of the mud. Let me say that again. Right on top of the mud. You don't need to do any ground preparation. The mud control grids are an instant solution to your high-traffic muddy areas. No more having to fill in with sand, gravel, shavings, or even old carpet. What's more, mud control grids will allow grass to grow underneath of them so they can be taken back up once the area is dry or recovered. Or you can leave them right where they are and take over again when the rainy season comes back around. Han Plastics mud control grids are designed to be installed as a temporary or permanent solution. You can take them with you with you move. Put down a lot, put down a few. Add more each year. The ultimate mud control solution. Check out Han Plastics mud control grids at mudgrid.ca. Oh, an added bonus, your tractor or gator won't sync up to its axles with Han Plastics mud control grids in place. So there's that www.mudgrid.ca Well, tonight we are really excited to have Mimi Stanley. She is the head trainer at Prairie Rose Training Center and a USDF bronze, silver, and gold medalist. Mimi, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. We are thrilled. Now tell us, tell us a little bit about yourself and about your training center and where you're located. Yeah, absolutely. So I am based in Bismarck, North Dakota, and grew up here, grew up doing Arabs, but always having a pretty strong like sport horse focus. My mom did a lot with hunter jumper, but did a bit of all around. Um, And so we gradually have transitioned over to being primarily a dressage, pretty much a dressage barn. We always joke we're a dressage barn that jumps a little. 
but uh, <laughs> with a so a strong, still keeping a strong Arab influence, but um, having certainly a mix of I have some warm bloods and some quarter horses and some other uh, breeds with clients and things. We still have a real big Arab interest and do a lot of uh, shows with them as well. So, yeah, I've got my USDF gold medal on a purebred Arab gelding and named EA Cygnus. That was pretty fabulous. And that's kind of where we can't, you know, kind of the the short of it. I just brought up my second horse to Grand Prix, which is a big Canavarian mare. So I definitely have a, a, a definitely some warm bloods uh, in the mix too, and some Arab warm blood crosses now. And then have also shown at the like Arabian Sport Horse Nationals is a, is a really one of our favorite shows of the year and have been real successful uh, there as well. So, and then uh, also showing just the Arabs and the various breeds in the open uh, USDF shows. So has your farm been, you know, your parents involved in, in breeding and is that, is that where the, the history of Arabs comes from? Uh, yeah, some, uh, I mean, always with some competition involved, but we've always raised um, a few horses as well always has been probably more of what now they call the sport horse type, but more the kind of a, a utilitarian kind of using type horses. Um, that was always where the interest was and what the type of horses that they liked. So it was a really just like natural, logical fit to gravitate that direction. And sorry, I, I was doing a little bit of, you know, Facebook lo- looking at, and, and looking at your website. Like there's, there's some, you ride some Arab warm blood crosses, correct? Is that from your own breeding yeah, program yeah. or is that just? Yeah, actually, I think all of the Arab warm blood crosses I'm riding are our own breeding. There's some, uh, a few other people that are doing some really lovely crosses as well, but it's a cross that seems to work really well. And it's nice because the Arabians are an approved outcross for the warm blood, most warm blood registries. So if we get the mares inspected, then the foals also actually have, they have full warm blood papers and are branded and all of that kind of a thing. So that's, that's kind of cool. And so uh, a, it really sorry, seems yeah, to be a just, good cross. Yeah. I'm just really interested in this. So when you cross an Arab and a warm blood, what, what is your, what's the ideal cross going to produce? What, what are the best qualities of both that you hope to come out with? Okay. Yeah, that's a great question. So one of the things that I find that is maybe challenging for the Arabs is kind of having that rhythm tempo that's really super consistent and kind of uh, the really strong push off of the ground. So those are some of the things we're kind of looking to add, you know, add in a little bit more uh, cadence and airtime into the gates and make them maybe a little bit the kind of that bridge of connection just more consistent. And then try and take in from the Arab part of it. Of course, we want to try to keep pretty faces. That doesn't hurt. Uh, yeah, they have beautiful, yes, beautiful true. true. Yep. <laughs> add the refinement. So a lot of the modern really the modern warm blood stallions work really well because you're still kind of doing, you know, you have some of the, the type aspect of it. So you're not kind of breeding some, like some of your old, really old fashioned warm bloods and Arabs probably wouldn't have been as consistent of a cross, I would say, because you would kind of could get kind of a funny mix, but a, a lot of the modern stallions cross really well, I think, because you're still to some level having a bit of a similar type one just with a little more focus you know on kind of the rhythmic gates 
with the cadence. And then the other part with the Arabs that I really like is they tend to be pretty darn smart, which is both a blessing and can be a curse, but I really Mm. enjoy, and they tend to be pretty sensitive while still remaining sensible. So you get a horse that's pretty dang tuned in, but not going to tend to like completely fall off the cliff when something is kind of (laughs) scary, but still have a real kind of that sensitivity aspect to them. So that's kind of the ideal. If I can, you know, have that real sensible sensitivity, have them be really pretty and add kind of that extra, you know, better ability to sit and better ability to kind of have that rhythmic bridge connection through their top lines. That that's ideal. Yeah. And so tell us, you know, just in general, and and obviously every, every horse is different, but what are some challenges uh, that you face training Arabs versus a kind of a a traditional warm blood? Yeah, absolutely. Um, One of the things I find is that they tend to be quite quick to learn the, what you're teaching them. So they'll figure out what that you want them to do a shoulder in. Right. But they will struggle to be able to really do it really well and maybe completely properly because their brains tend to get learn a lot faster than their bodies do or where their strength abilities are versus some of like a few of the young warm bloods I brought up, they kind of will just be able to like do things in their bodies, but I can kind of tell they don't really know what they're doing. Sure. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah, like yeah, they kind of are like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. versus the Arabs, I tend to be like, they're like, they're like I got it, but I can't, oh, I can't hold it. I, um, you know, and, and that, so they will often kind of, you have to be a little creative in building up the strength aspect of things without getting to be too much repetition so that they get bored. Cause when they get bored is often where I, um, we have a term we call recreational spooking. <laughs> yes, that's a okay, that's a thing. Yes, I think that's I've a thing. That a yep, of times. I've had that happen. <laughs> yeah. And so when they're bored, and so you have to kind of keep their, then they come up with you know the little minor dragons in the corner and whatever. And so we, so yeah, keeping them mentally engaged and enough variety to get them strong so that they can really execute the work that you're that they mentally understand you know, well, and that's certainly the can be the case with any of them, uh, any of the horses. But I think that that is especially true with the Arabs. And so that's yeah, one I, of the I big just things. Think, yeah. In, in my experience with this type of horse that is, you know, a real trier, a real doer, they tend to take everything to the extreme. You know, when you, for instance, yeah. we, you were just talking about the shoulder in when, when you teach them shoulder in and you know, they get a little praise and they get a little good boy. And then they're like, okay, well now I can do more angle and I can do more angle. And then you end up like going off into the distance in a real sideways manner. And you have to, you know, you have to be careful not to, yeah, not to overdo it like that, or, or just to, just to guide them in the, in a good way to, to, to not let that happen too much. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so I guess one of the other parts is a little bit, like you said, the, the really kind of generous, part is they tend to be pretty generous with their energy, but it tends to be a little bit quick, a little bit hectic energy. So getting them to kind of just slow down their movement, but keep that same energy level so that they actually can really get the connection and really truly push off of the ground instead of kind of going across the ground. Because you have to think if way back they were bred to go across the desert, well, you didn't want a horse to actually like 
push very hard on the, on the ground. But for like a horse to do a good passage, they've got to really push off the ground as well. So that's oftentimes, again, kind of a spot where you have to take some time to almost go kind of what seems like too slow, but so that they can kind of find that rhythm that they can actually push in. So is is that um, is that your advice? Is yeah, is just to really you know really go a little bit uh, too far one way or not too far, but just to really just slow everything down. You know, maybe take a little bit of the energy out to to make them you know kind of comfortable in, in the slower tempos. Yeah, I, that is definitely something I, I spend some time doing. Is just you know you have to watch that. It, then yes, they can get kind of piddling, and then you don't want that, but getting them so that they can kind of understand they can slow their uh, down just enough so that their action, their push can actually really kind of accomplish something instead of that always going a little too fast and kind of like having to catch themselves that I find to be helpful, but combining that with a lot of, I do a lot of bending figures to, again, kind of help them really find that pushing connection, that pushing to the connection kind of a, a, a feeling and Oftentimes, maybe a little bit lower neck because, again, a lot of them are going to tend to be a little bit, they tend to be pretty up in their neck, which a lot of actually our modern warm bloods are tending towards as well. But again, to help them kind of be able to make that bridge. And then, not with another thing with the Arabs is they tend to be super flexible in their throat latch. <laughs> so, yeah. not panicking when they go a little bit behind the vertical because usually that's a it's just an understanding and especially a strength thing. And so I, I probably focus more on the, like, you know, focus on the back, focus on how much connection how, that you feel like you have their hind legs that are pushing, but not running. And then I fo- focus as far as the neck, I focus more on what like maybe the bottom half of the neck is doing. If that's really kind of puffing up and lifting and making that nice bridge out, if, the top half of the neck isn't quite where I want it. I take note of it. I'm not like, oh yeah, that's fine. They can just stay like that forever. But I don't worry about that till I actually have the contact more, you know, consistent and they feel real confident in it. And I've given them some time to get the strength. That's something yeah, I, cool. I find with, yeah. with yeah, that. Yeah. Good advice. Good advice. So I want to know a little bit about the, I mean, the Arab world, because I mean, I've never been, but they they have a lot of Arab specific shows and, and and you said there was a, mm-hmm. a nationals or something like like tell us a little bit about you know that world and 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 what's fun about it and and, and what the nationals yeah, are like absolutely. yeah so the a lot of the arab dressage shows will also be in conjunction with maybe what well, what we call the main ring you're kind of your typical arab showing classes so you're, you'll see your saddle seat and you'll see your western pleasure and you'll have the halter and things so oftentimes that will be hooked on in conjunction with um, a dressage show that they'll run at the same time. And also the sport horse class, what we call the sport horse classes. And then sometimes also with the, um, they also have a a hunter jumper division and actually a carriage driving division too. That was one of at last shows, but so you get to some shows, you kind of get to see the horses doing everything. So that's kind of fun. Then um, sport horse community has really gotten to be, just a really fun, positive community to be in, I think. And it's people that really just enjoy their horses. There's a lot of, there's a big amateur community that has an aspect of do it yourself, you know, that call in for lessons that, you know, are are really like, or smaller barns 
doing that are really invested. And so I think it's just a little bit kind of a, it's a real friendly environment to, to step into. It's not super intimidating for people. Uh, people are pretty welcoming. And then also you have, yeah, you have your, you have your whole full class class list of dressage classes, but you also have what we like some of this, what we call some of the sport horse under saddle classes, which is kind of, if you're used to the dressage world, it's going to kind of look like a material class. Basically your walk track and canter, maybe a little lengthening of stride. And those are really popular classes for people as well. Cause they get to kind of go in and do something a little bit, a uh, little bit different with their horses or sometimes people that are more from traditional Arab show world. Uh, they'll often uh, that's where they often kind of come in uh, and, you know, kind of start. And then often we, grab them, put our little dressage tentacles into them and pull them over. <laughs> but uh, that's, that, so that's a, a fun part about it. And they also have four first uh, in hand. So again, kind of the, and we show on the triangle, like you would see at Devon. Um, and so it's, it's judged basically the same. Um, and, and so people really enjoy having some different aspects of things they can do with their horses. And then they have the hunter jumper part of it as well. And then at nationals, they also have even the carriage driving. So, um, there's just a lot of different things you can do with your horses. And a lot, there's a lot of horses that are super versatile and people will show them in the dressage and in some hunter classes and in the under saddle, the sport horse under saddle and in the, in hand. And so over the course of, especially like at nationals, that's a week long. So that sport horse nationals started in 2003 three, I believe, um, it broke away from just the Arabian nationals, um, because it had gotten, the division had gotten popular enough and big enough that it really needed more time than worked, um, in conjunction with, with the other, uh, national show. And, and it's been, uh, really popular and people just really have really enjoyed it. And it's a really fun show and yeah, everybody That's awesome. just really enjoy it. And, yeah, that is nice. really yeah. cool. Well, Mimi, if yeah, anybody so is in yeah, all the things and sporters under saddle, sports in hand, working hunter, jumpers. There's a couple combined training classes now. Oh, Western dressage is there now too, and then also the carriage driving. And so it, oh. you can kind of like do anything you want to do with your horse. <laughs> wow, that's <laughs> so. Pretty fun. That's fantastic. Well, Mimi, if uh, people want to find you online and learn more about you and your program, how can they do that? Absolutely. Well, um, I'm just on personally on Facebook, um, but also they can uh, look up Prairie Rose Training Center Dressage. We have a pretty active Facebook group. Uh, I also have a website, PRTC Dressage, that actually is really out of date, but is getting an overhaul and (laughs) in the next few months will be really good uh but it's kind of in progress right now and then i have my instagram which is just mimi stanley dressage and so yeah that's kind of where i'm at and uh yeah i'd love to get in touch with anybody who has any questions or you know how to find out more wants to find out more about the community and yeah great that'd be awesome well thanks so much we look forward to doing that absolutely it was lovely to visit thank you so much we'll talk to you soon what a beautiful day for horses in the morning. 
Well, everybody had a favorite morning drive show in the days we all listened to radio. They were goofy, funny, and entertaining. You can have that again, only this time it focuses on life with horses. We are here every weekday on your podcast player. Search for Horses in the Morning and come join us. We are a little goofy, hopefully funny and entertaining, and you might learn something along the way, too. We are the world's leading daily podcast about horses since 2010, with over 2,600 episodes for you to binge on. Subscribe today. What are you waiting for? Pull your phone out of your pocket, blow off the hay, and subscribe to Horses in the Morning. Well, tonight we have one of our favorite guests, Wendy Murdoch of the Murdoch Method on the line. How are you, Wendy? I'm great. How are you? We are awesome. We were just catching up. You know, we have to stop chatting because we're like, wait, it's time. We gotta, we gotta go to work. Um, but we just, we love visiting with you. And uh, you have a great story. You want to tell us about Surefoot Pads? So we really want to hear it. You know, so so I've been doing these webinars with Wendy, and I and I realized one of the topics that I really needed to talk about was how to use Surefoot in emergencies, and you know because. I get people emailing me and go, you know, my horse is colicking and I use Surefoot and he stopped colicking. Uh, my horse was panicking and I use Surefoot. And so I realized that, you know, that's a whole um, other way to use Surefoot that a lot of people don't realize can be so helpful. Now, of course, if you ever have a problem with your horse, he's colicking or you think he has laminitis, call your vet because you really want your vet on the way to your horse no matter what. And, it, you know, the best, the best thing you want to do is have your vet show up and go, Oh, he's fine now. I mean, isn't that the best? That's what you true. want to pay for, right? Yep, true. But, you know, and while you're waiting for the vet, you know, some, sometimes you have to wait half an hour, even longer, depending on where you live and where your vet is, for that person to get to your horse to give him help. Well, this is where I've been getting so many people emailing me and telling me how they've used Surefoot to help a horse in colic. And... Um, I've had a couple of really fascinating stories. In fact, well, I just used them with my horse, actually. He was coming in for dinner, and he'd eat his dinner, and then all of a sudden, he'd just get really funny, and he just wouldn't want to walk out of his stall, and he wouldn't want to put his halter on. And I was like, Al, who, who food is very important, and going out to eat is very important. It's like, Al, what's wrong? And long story short, it turned out he was brewing an abscess, but I think he was getting ulcery because he would run in, go in his stall, eat his dinner, and then you know, the pain, he'd feel the pain because the adrenaline dropped down because he was really excited about eating. And then he'd go, Ugh. and so, you know, I brought him out and I put him on the sure foot pads and you could, he, he wanted to stand on him. Now, my horse, of course, is the one who is very indifferent to Surefoot normally. But this, <laughs> yeah, he's like, yeah. of course, mom, you're of course, on those things thanks, again. mom. Yeah. But when he didn't feel good, he wanted them. And that's one of the things that we're seeing is sometimes horses, when they're fine, they're not really interested. But there's several cases, and I can think of one, a woman in Australia, her horse was totally indifferent, wasn't interested at all. And then one day he he um, colicked, and she pulled out her pads and put him on the pads, and it helped him. And he overcame, you know, he got better. Because when you put them on the pads, you're releasing all these neurochemicals and endorphins and acetylcholine and dopamine. And so you're helping the whole parasympathetic rest and digest response kick in because when they're colicking, they're in stress, they're in sympathetic, right? So it helps switch them. Well, she told me that after she used the pads with her colicky horse, he would nicker to her when he saw the pads. 
And Aww. so he, yeah. Aww. And he was like, I, I love them. And so it, he realized that they helped him, which is so interesting that the horses recognize that they're going to help them. Um, and he was a horse that really could care less before that. But after that, now he, he's like, he sees the pads and I am, um, I, I, a couple of years, was it two years ago? Yeah. Before lockdown, you have to remember where that was. I yeah. was, I was like, this was another case where Surefoot helped in a, in a great emergency. So I was driving down in Virginia to go to a clinic. And as I pulled in the driveway, I saw this horse in a paddock on the left-hand side and he was obviously stressed. And so I stopped because I had my pads in the car and I walked over and I said, you know, what's going on? And they said, well, we drove down from Pennsylvania and he was really upset when he got here. He trailered down really badly. They had a van and he was just really upset. And then the paddock was next to a golf course and they were having a tournament. And every time somebody drove a ball, he got upset. And so this poor horse was just, he was at his wits end. So I... I grabbed my physio pad, the, the thin one, the inch and a half, and it was a half physio pad. So it's 16 by 12, right? Enough for a foot. And I said, can I help? And they said, please. And it turned out he had been on sure foot pads a couple of years before, but they hadn't can, you know, use them in like a couple of years. So I walked into the paddock and I just started with him and I just offered it. And you could, in 15 minutes, he went from very stressed to eating hay, maybe 20 minutes. And I just, you know, he was loose. I didn't try to hold him. I just would go over. I put his foot on the pad. I tried a couple of different pads. He was like, nope, don't want the others like the physio pad. Great. And so by the time I got done, he was grazing and eating. And I said, let him eat as much hay as he wants. And then they were still going to drive home instead of stay at the workshop clinic. So it's fine. So they loaded him into the van and they started driving home and when they got on the beltway 495 around washington dc on a sunday afternoon have you ever uh, been on the beltway yeah no don't do it on don't a do sunday it. afternoon with a horse van no they broke no. down they had a flat tire and so they called us at the clinic and the woman saying you know we've got a flat tire and i'm just like trying to think who could i send to help them because i live an hour and a half from the beltway you know, who do I know that's closer? And I'm, then they're like, okay, we got to get off the beltway. And so they limped off the beltway. And a couple hours later, they found somebody who could change the tire and they didn't have to take the horses out of the van. I mean, the saga, the woman was so stressed. It was like, you got rescue remedy. Like, yeah. You need that. Didn't. Yeah. Oh. And they didn't get home till like 10 o'clock that night. Like they had left at like nine o'clock in the morning. Oh, and man. when they got home, this horse never stressed the entire time he was totally fine really how did yeah. that happen well that's it you know he came down he was a misery he was said that trailer down he was really bad and i just used surefoot with him and then he went through all of that and he was totally okay that's awesome you know this is the thing that if you're showing if you're going to competitions and felicitas von newman cosell she said this in a, in a webinar i did with her but you know when you're trailing to a competition for every hour you're driving, it's an hour of walking. But if you're on rough roads, those horses are getting, you know, pounded around and concussed the entire time. Even if you have a good trailer, right? If you have bad roads. Sure. And yeah. so what she does when she gets to a competition is she puts her horses on surefoot pads. And she, like, helps them let go of the stress of trailering. 
Cool. It just gives them gives them some elite cool. relief as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so you know, you you you're going to a competition and you want your horse to be his best, but you have to think about if he's trailered there and it's it, that he has to brace against the trailer against the movement right and then you get him there and you've set him up to be bracing well you don't want that in your competition you want that free yeah. forward movement right you need the flow sure. so you know you can put your horse on surefoot pads and and help him and as long as you've worked with him at home in an open space you can do this in a stall you know as long as he's familiar and you know how he's going to respond and he's okay with it you can do this in a stall and so she just sets the horses up on the pads at the show and chills him out and you think of how many competition horses could benefit from that so that they could relax and let down, settle into the new environment. You've brought an association of comfort from home to the show. So they associate, oh, there's my pad. Oh, yeah. This must be fine, right? Because the horses recognize the pads. They know they bring comfort. And there's a uh, someone in Germany, an upper-level rider, and her groom holds a blue pad, the soft one, ringside when he enters into the arena and he <laughs> looks over and yeah. sees the pad and lets down and does his ride, does his test. Wow. Kind of neat. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We'll take it. Kinda that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, they have association, they recognize, and that's one of the problems. I was just at a barn. I did teach the other day, a dressage barn in Maryland. And I walked in cause I was late and here's two horses standing on surefoot pads and they're just totally, they're drooling. They're chilling out completely. And the woman said, you know, when I want to work my horse, I actually have to hide the pads because if she sees the pads, <laughs> she wants to stand she on She doesn't want to work. She oh, just wants to stand funny. on pads. She wants to stand on So they absolutely have association. And so whether that's, you know, putting them on the pad, showing them the pad, making sure you have your pads with them in case your horse trailered badly, uh, you know. Sure. I, I mean, you could get take, stuck on the road. It's a great no, idea. Well, yeah. Now you, I'm not sure that you want to be trying to put a pad underneath your horse's foot if you're stuck on the side of the road in a trailer. Okay, because it's really okay, confined okay. space. Good point. Um, yeah, but certainly when you get there, and the, and that's the thing is what what we're trying to do here is is help the horses be at their very very best, and helping them settle in. You know, when you go to a strange place and it's yeah. all strange stalls. You know, it helps them settle in. It helps them warm up for competition. And then there was another horse. And this was at Morven Park a couple of years ago. And um, he got there and he was anxious. He was just anxious. And so they used the surefoot pads and he chilled out and he got high score for the show. Wow. Now, would that happen if he was nervous? No, because probably just not. like, yeah, yeah, when we're nervous, not. we're not going to move the way we will when we're relaxed. I mean, when you talk to any, athlete like an olympic athlete and i had a i had a woman as a student who was an olympic uh speed skater if you had seen her quads they were amazing <laughs> I bet. Um, but her coach would come over when she wasn't working out and he checked to see if her quads were jello and he wanted the muscles like jello because if the muscles are tense when you're not working out they're not going to get the blood supply needed to restore them to 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 build muscle to clear lactic acid. So you think about if if you take your hand and you kind of clench it a little bit, but not close it all the way, but keep it under tension. Now you're not going to move as freely. You're not going to clear the lactic acid, and it's it's a stress. But if you could do something that completely relaxes that hand, you're going to have more power. 
because you have full contraction, right? You're going to clear the lactic acid. You're going to rebuild better. You're going to oxygenate the tissues, all the things you need for really top performance. And we recognize this in human athletes, how important it is. And fortunately, more and more, we're seeing our horses as athletes. Now, dressage riders have for a long time, but other disciplines have not. And it's time that we really looked at them as athletes when they're performing and how can we optimize performance? Anything we can do to reduce anxiety, stress, muscle tension, help the horse fully relax. You know, you want to just lay down and have a good night's sleep, right? Before you're going to compete. Sure. It's it, anything we can do to help them let down so that they can then re repair, rebuild, relax, and then optimize that performance. So you get all of your horse at that show. You want a hundred percent potential arriving at that show. Well, I think it's fantastic. You know, that's a great use. And like you said, anything we can do going to a competition to keep things as similar as home, that will help you. It's like going to a hotel with your pillow. It really helps when you have your own stuff. Well, I love it. Well, Wendy, how can our listeners find you online, all of your great products and learn more about Surefoot? So we have a great website. It's called surefootequine.com. And we're uh, by June 1st, we should be in five languages, English, wow. Dutch, French, Spanish, and German. Um, it's been a long haul. It's been a year and a half project. And I really wanted it in multiple languages because we have uh, clientele all around the world. We have practitioners all around the world. And so I really wanted people to be able to read the information in their own language. We have some videos that are also in different like German, Dutch, and English. Um, and I think we have a French subtitled one. So surefootequine.com. And then they can go to shop.surefootequine.com to purchase any Surefoot products. And, you know, this is the thing that half physio pad is, a, is an inexpensive item for what it can do in terms of, you know, helping alleviate colic helping relax your horse, helping them stand quietly for the farrier. I just had a, um, a farrier uh, contact me. He's in Canada, and there was a horse he absolutely couldn't work on. And then he put the horse on a physio pad, and he could work on the horse safely, and the horse was comfortable. You know, and it's just, that's just a great thing to have. I think of it as kind of like an emergency pad. Like, I, I don't want to ever go anywhere without a half physio pad in my yeah. bag and it fits in my oh, suitcase so cool. yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. we just heard about how you pack so now yeah, now yeah. i know why you have <laughs> two 70 pound bags 70 pound bag, three bags all together yeah <laughs> I, I love it i love it well wendy thank you so much for coming on and we look forward to hearing about all your new adventures uh next month yeah and um i just love talking to you guys it's so much fun and uh really appreciate what you guys are doing. It's terrific. Thank you so much. Well, you keep us on our toes as well. So thanks so much, Wendy, and we'll talk to you soon. All right. Take care. Well, Phil, now that it's starting to get warmer, I have to ask, on your girths, is it time now to change the liners? Absolutely. So we, <laughs> you know, in the last two weeks, we had a real quick switch around from cold to hot. So... Uh, you know, off off come the fuzzies, on go on go the neoprene, and <laughs> I knew it. I knew closing it down time. horses, sweat like crazy. Yeah, you are absolutely right about that. I love it. I love it. So, what are we talking about, Phil? So, so people, if you're new to the show, what are we talking about? 
The girths from Total Saddle Fit are really awesome because of all the di different options that you have that you can really, you know, s suit it to the horse and suit it to the season. And we love that ability, you know, at our farm and in our, in our program. Yeah. They're fantastic products from Total Saddle Fit. And again, just the liners are a perfect example. It's, I, I pretty much use the neoprene year round. Sometimes I'll switch, I switch to the leather when I show, but you know, we're, we're in the hot climates. Most of it's warm and sweaty. So we, uh, and I can hose them off because everybody knows I like to hose my girls off. And even if they're leather and I get in trouble, but they get so sweaty. So I love the neoprene. I can just hose them and I don't even feel guilty. So it's amazing. So if you want to learn more about the stretch tech shoulder relief girth or any of the other products at totalsaddlefit.com, go there. Justin there is fantastic and um, they have great products and we endorse them and use them every day. This week's dressage training tip is brought to you by Total Saddle Fit, home of the shoulder relief girth at totalsaddlefit.com. So, Phil, you have a great Total Saddle Fit question, trainer tip question from the auditor room, right? Yeah. So this uh, question comes from to us from Hillary. And, you know, we love answering these questions and, and discussing them. So this one is about how to improve the elastic feeling in your arms to the horse's bit to the horse's mouth and you know this is this is a great question because this is something 100% of riders deal with all the time on every horse all the way up into training pretty much every day we have to kind of assess this and 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 deal with the, you know, deal with the problems associated with contact and, you know, is the horse reaching enough? Is it not enough? You know, you know, like, so this is a really good one. Really like it. Fantastic. What you got? Well, I, I think, you know, part of this discussion is that it's not a hundred percent a rider problem and it's not a hundred percent a horse problem. It's kind of somewhere, somewhere in between, you know, creating an mm -hmm. elastic contact because the rider has to create the feeling that the horse is, wants to kind of stretch into and mm -hmm. then the horse has to have the right motivation to kind of be able to to take the bit so there's a lot to discuss here i mean there is you know do you have the right bit on your horse that's that's a big one right that's you know? huge that is really important actually yeah. And yeah, there, there are a you, lot of people that do that. You can have the softest arms as you want. You can, you know, and all of that. But if the horse isn't really that comfortable in a bit, you're not going to create, you know, you're going to get that, you know, no matter what you get, you're not going to get that elastic feeling to the horse's mouth because they're either going to be backed off or on the other end of the spectrum, they're just going to, you know, a lot of horses will just clamp down and, and pull against your arms. You know, that's, an, you know, another problem. So it's, it's, and, it's really. And two, with bidding. Insane. Sorry, Phil, I'm just wanted to jump in there because one of the things that I've learned from some of the bit fitters is sometimes horses actually have on the bars of their mouth, they have spurring from prior riding or bad riding or riding when they were little. If somebody injured the bars of their mouth, because sometimes people will put bits in there that don't fit and they can injure the horses. And a lot of times they don't want pressure on that point. So that is actually something that's really important with elastic contact is and also bridle fitting too. They you really need to check that and have yeah. a professional. So, I, so so we try to eliminate those couple of questions. Mm -hmm. You know, do you have the right nose band? Do they? You know, will they prefer 
flash nose band or uh you know any of the other kinds drop nose um, band i mean there's so many new ones yeah, out now too there's, there's lots mm-hmm. of stuff like this so so you have to kind of make sure that the comfort level is there and that you've got the right combination of tack and then and then okay we eliminate those kinds of things and then you you say okay this is maybe closer to 100 percent a rider problem well, this is this is very difficult because you have to have. I try to describe it as a firm but not loose arm. Yeah, you that's know? a good way to say it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's firm, but it's not. You're not clamped on, and you know, and 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 you have to have the right energy. So your horse has to be, you know, moving from behind. You know, have that forward kind of idea, and then the rider has to encourage the horse to want to take the bit but not not in a really rough way or or uh, a strong way it's it's really kind of you know to create a perfect relationship between hand and mouth and and also some horses like the hands a little bit lower and or some horses like the hands a little bit higher you know you can you can imagine that you want that straight elbow to bit connection but there's a little bit of play within that, you know, a few centimeters up, a few centimeters down, hands wide, hands narrow. You got to find the right kind of play. So some some people really like to have their hands narrow, you know, kind of close to touching. But, you know, if you're riding a young horse, you know, or uh, a horse that's not that educated, they I think they all prefer the hands a little bit wider to help to help mm-hmm. guide them to the bit, you know. So I think hands narrow is a little bit more of an educated horse position to have it. And hands a little higher is also a little more of an educated because, you know, the higher frame that you want, you've got to take your hands up to make that elbow to bit straight connection. So uh, in general, I think, you know, most riders could do with kind of widening the ho- widening the, and lowering the hands a little bit to help with that connection. You know, and then you've got to find the balance between you know, straight elbows, not good. Mm, not good. Elbows, there are a few people that hold their elbows behind their torso a little bit. And that's, the, you know, com- completely opposite position, but also problematic. So yeah. again, you've got to find the right sort of position. You know, I, in general, I would prefer to see the elbows a little bit straighter, especially, you know, on, on uneducated horses to uh, encourage them to the bit rather than sticking your elbows right in your side. So as a horse gets, you know, more collected and more safe in the contact, then of course you can bring your elbows right into your side and and hold them a little bit steadier. But like I said, in general, you want to be following the horse's bit, especially in walk and canter. So, you know, the right contact is a little bit different in the three different gates, you know, in walk, you, you, you for sure should not, present the horse with with too much contact because they you know their 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 top line oscillates in in the walk and the canter so you have to follow that oscillation you know the head sort of not extreme but dips a little bit up and down and and the nose goes a little bit forward so you've got to follow that movement of the horse and and like i said every horse is a little bit different so it's very very tricky to give advice on this, not seeing the particular rider and and particular horse. Um, right. But I, I think you did a really good job talking about it because it, it is, it's not, it's not a cut and dry, you know, and, and I think all, all people have a level of understanding of feel because 
I, 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 my analogy is when you were to shake your grandmother's hand. And then if you were to shake a hand of a professional football player, right, you're going to have different feelings in your hand and you're going to adjust differently. And if you hold a baby's hand, right? So that's kind of what happens when you ride different horses. You have to figure out how much pressure you have in each hand and what does that horse like? Uh, again, the baby is going to feel different than the professional football player, you know, and, and you have different ways of holding their hand, Right. Um, so that's kind of the same thing with the reins and, and being able to adjust and, and, and move with the horse, I think is, is so very important. I I'm just going to add in, I think the rider's position is really critical here. I think you really have to have enough core strength that, um, you can hold yourself upright without being held with the reins, which I think is really important. In the yeah, elbows yeah, you see, yeah, you see, you see a lot of riders who are using the horse's mouth to bounce off of, mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. if you've got a little bit of a, a schoolmaster that you know has done, been there and done that, and and so the rider finds a little bit of stability from from the horse's mouth, but you know that that creates problems in itself. Yeah, you know, in general, you want to be creating a horse that is is really forward and really wanting to take the rider's hand, and so. Your job is to create that idea of forward flowing energy and then and then connecting to the mouth without without creating a resistance to that forward movement, if if that makes sense, you know. That that you can feel the mouth, but you're still just going forward and you're still just, you know, um swinging towards the bit and, and all that. So yeah, course but stability is a huge part of that. And and really the elastic feel is hard to generate and create in a rising trot. Yes. So, you know, like you, you just don't have enough push power to really stay, you know, uh, from the horse and, and to stabilize the hand and you, you know, you're, you're, you're rising. So you're up and down. I mean, that, that in itself creates a little bit of, of, uh, of movement within the whole upper body torso thing that nobody can eliminate that. The, the idea should be that you are, Sending the, sending the horse forward and then creating, it's a little bit of an illusion of, of stability or, you know, you're moving your torso, but, but not your hands. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so for sure, your shoulders, your elbows, your wrists should all be kind of relaxed to, to allow you to, to move towards your hands and not the hands constantly going back and forward. Right. Right. I think that's the best way I know I know yeah, how to describe no, it. But uh, yeah, again, it's it's really unique situations. But um, for sure, for sure, for sure, tension is not going to nope. get it done. So, yeah, so it won't work. you have to almost you know think about it a little bit, and then you know think about something else, and then hopefully you know you won't be trying to force your hands or your arms into a particular position because the it's kind of like. You know, riding is just a little bit like the more you try, the worse it gets almost. Yeah. You know? Yes, I I do. It doesn't help necessarily to work or to try harder or pull, you know, try harder because it doesn't it doesn't work like that. Sometimes it's better just to reset everything. And like I said, I work every single horse. I work on this every horse, you know. uh, Yeah, every day. You know, it's just something that every rider, you know, needs to work on and every horse needs to work on to to create what what's optimal for the moment or for the movement or for what you need right now in the, in the training. And then 
hopefully you know take it to a show and 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 the tension doesn't creep in in the horse and rider and you can have that super nice elastic contact you know but it's never perfect yeah yeah no it's true well that was a great total saddle fit tip and we're so thankful for our auditors that sent it to us again we love email facebook um to become an auditor of the horse radio network you can go to the horse radio network page uh and that's a super fun um exclusive group and, and it's really positive and fun group and um people ask questions and uh the group answers or sometimes we get a hold of them and we love it so um, it's a great way to sort of be a part of the Horse Radio Network. And uh, we are always thankful for everybody that does that. And Phil, just our last reminder, because next week is our week off uh, and the Western Dressage Show will be here, is don't forget our book club of the month, Ride Big by John Hame. If you're getting ready to compete, this is a great book. Everybody should read it. It's fantastic. And we highly recommend it. And we look forward to when we will, with our auditor who got the book, to to do that. Well, as always, you can find our show notes and links to today's guests on our website, dressageradio.com. Like us on Facebook, just search Dressage Radio Show. Follow us on Twitter at Horse Radio. My website is maplecrestfarmky.com and my email is reese at horseradionetwork.com. The best way to find me is on Facebook or my email is philip at horseradionetwork.com. I'd like to thank our sponsors of this show, Kentucky Performance Products, Bates Saddles, Han Plastics, Total Saddle Fit, and the Murdoch Method. Don't forget to check out all the other shows on the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. Everybody, keep your heels down and your shoulders back, and we'll talk to you next week. (laughs) 